Notre Dame fans, welcome back to another edition of Irish Breakdown. It is Friday, June 26. My name is Brian Driscoll. I am the publisher at irishbreakdown.com, joined today by my man Vince D'Addario, the football analyst at irishbreakdown.com. And today, Vince, we are going to talk about the Notre Dame wide receivers. Notre Dame has to replace Chase Claypool and Chris Fink, a pair of players that combined for 256 career catches, for 3410 yards and 27 touchdowns that does not include the hun- I mean that includes obviously the 107 catches for 1493 yards and 17 touchdowns in 2019 which a lot of that was from Chase Claypool. The special teams was also hurt by the loss of those two players but that is not the topic of today's conversation. We're going <laughs> to stick strictly with the wide receiver aspect of it Vince despite that loss despite losing Miles Boykin the year before the expectations for the Notre Dame wide receivers going into 2020 is still, in my view, sky high. And it should be. I mean, I, I think that, you know, if you if you talk to the, the, the national pundits who cover Notre Dame football or are just looking at football as a whole, they, they look at the wide receiver position and they have a big question mark about what are they going to be. Now, look, I get it. They penciled in starters at wide receiver have less career catches combined than transfer Ben Skoranek has coming in from Northwestern. I get it. There's not a lot of on paper experience for this group. So sure, it's a question mark, but I think this group that they have coming back has the opportunity to be one of the best position groups on the team if everything goes the way I think it probably will end up going. So um, and you know, you mentioned that you're not, we're not talking about special teams and we're not, but I also think this group is going to highly impact special teams as well. Well, there's no question. And like part of this for me is about philosophy. I'm never a big fan of putting in a first year starting quarterback unless it's a kid who's experienced. So when Baker Mayfield took over to Oklahoma, he never started at Oklahoma, but he started at Texas tech. Mm-hmm. Kyler Murray started at, um, at Texas A&M. Jalen Hurts had started at, um, you know, at uh, at Alabama, and and rarely do you see the Trevor Lawrence scenario where a, a, an unproven quarterback is going to step in and play. I just same with offensive line. You just you need some experience. You know, you're not going to see five freshman offensive linemen starting for a team that's playing for the national championship. Sure, right. But I don't think the same is true at running back, and I definitely don't think the same is true at receiver. I believe that that is a position where experience is not nearly as important as talent. And, you know, the other traits like work ethic and, you know, you got to have some knowledge. You know, you, you can't have a kid who doesn't understand football as a great right. athlete. He's not going to be a great receiver. But if you have the skills, you're going to step in and be productive whether you played a bunch or not. And I think that's where Notre Dame is. And that's not just my opinion. That's based on what we've seen the last decade plus at Notre Dame. Golden Tate caught six passes as a freshman in 2007. A year later, he had 58 catches for over 1,000 yards. Will Fuller went from six catches as a freshman in 2013 to over 70 catches for over 1,000 yards as a sophomore in 2014. Yeah, uh, Miles Boykin, in his first three years at Notre Dame, caught 18 total passes. 18. And then as a senior, went out and had a great season, had over 50 catches, over 800 yards, despite splitting catches with Chase Claypool and Alizé Mack and Chris Fink uh, and, and even Jafar Armstrong at running back and Tony Jones at running back. And then went out and was a third-round draft pick. He played one year for Notre Dame. One year plus one game. Mm-hmm. The LSU game the year before. That was it. 
and he was a third-round draft pick. You know, Chase Claypool was a, a good player and had a lot of experience and then finally developed, but Chase Claypool was a little different because Chase didn't have a lot of those other traits that we're talking about because of his background playing ball in Canada. He needed that kind of time. Guys like Braden Lindsay, Lawrence Keyes, Kevin Austin, Javon McKinley, those are guys that 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 know how to play. They just need the opportunity and the experience. So I think the expectation should be high. And I think this notion of, well, they didn't get the offseason to work out and stuff. Hey, there was a time in football when you didn't have, you know, the off seasons like you do now. And they're getting plenty of time in June, plenty of time in July. They're going to have all of fall camp yeah. to get on the same page. They'll be fine. Plus, well, as, as Urban Meyer said in the article the other day, they start the season off with Navy, Arkansas, Western Michigan, and Wake Forest. You got four warm-up games, essentially. Because if you're in year 11 of Brian Kelly's tenure and you can't beat those four teams without being full go, you know, then then there's a much, much bigger problem than your experience of wide receiver. Yeah, no, no question about that. And we've talked about this as we've talked about other position groups that don't have a ton of experience. It's affordable with this schedule. And for the first time in a while, it's been affordable at Notre Dame. You know, many schools you know, put their cupcakes up front so that they can break their guys in. Notre Dame, because of their independent, you know, status, and a lot of times they have to have a, a big boy right up front, whether it's game one or game two or whatever the case may be. And this year, it was going to be more about location than it was opponent going to Ireland, which obviously isn't mm-hmm. going to happen. But the level of play is much more conducive to breaking in some of these newer position groups. And the wide receiver group, uh, you know, falls right in line with what we're talking about there. They they do need time to gel as a unit, as new starters, etc. But look, people are going to talk about the fact that they didn't get, you know, spring, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the starters played a lot of football. I mean, okay. Most of them. Yeah. yeah I mean, Kevin them. Austin, obviously he missed last year, but he practiced the whole time. You know, he was on the scout team, etc. I get that. But he did play as a freshman. So he's had time in Notre Dame Stadium in front of 80,000 fans. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Braden Lindsey, Lawrence Keyes, those guys have had time on the field. They've made impact plays on the field as reserves. So I- I'm not necessarily worried about that group. Uh, and-, and when I use the word worried, I want everybody to understand. I'm not worried as in that they won't be able to do it. I'm worried as in it's a question mark. Right. So some of the the next group down, right? You've got Ben Skoranek, who's a transfer, but he's got a ton of experience as a starter. So I'm not necessarily worried about him. It's that next group down. They might not have as much experience in the starting rotation, in the rotation period. So it's going to take a little bit of time. But as you mentioned, they're going to get time in the summer. Those walkthroughs are pretty much exactly what they always get in mm-hmm. the summertime, except they also have coaches, which mm-hmm. is going to be huge because normally in the summertime, it's player-led seven-on-seven. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have coaches during this period. So mm-hmm. I think that that's actually a leg up, to be perfectly honest with you. And they've got the guys who weren't going to be there in the spring are now with them in the summertime. So you could almost make an argument that they're better off with this particular scenario than they would have been with the regular scenario. From a skill player standpoint, I would I would say you could make that case. I, th- I think you and I would agree that it's a little different for the big boys because they missed out on the strength conditioning aspect. Of course, aspect. absolutely. But from a timing and a, a standpoint, you're, the other thing too that has to be considered is is these new, these new um, – practice things that they've put in place in the NCAA are to overcome the spring. So instead of having time in March and April and then, 
half of April, May, and June, you have nothing. And then you get back in July, and then there's a break, and then you're back in August. So there's never that consistent period, whereas now, once they're here, they're going. And they're going to be working out till the season starts, essentially. So I think that consistency is something that is important that should help them at this particular position. And I, I think the expectations for me for this unit is, Vince, is this unit needs to be explosive. Mm-hmm. This unit needs to be dynamic. Uh, and I don't mean dynamic just from an explosiveness standpoint. I separate those two things because being dynamic also means having guys can develop and win one-on-one matchups, whether it's converting a third and seven, whether it's uh, stretching the field, whether it's taking a screen and turning a big play, those are the explosive aspects of it. But it's also about those clutch plays and and being able to to create mismatches to where opponents have to say, okay, who do we defend this week? And you know, I think that's a big thing that we haven't seen at Notre Dame uh, as much over the last decade. And the times that we have, those offenses have been pretty good. And I and I point to the 2018 team when Ian Book stepped in the starting lineup. And you had to worry about Chase Claypool, Miles Boykin, Chris Fink, and Alizé Mack, plus Dexter Williams running the football. You had a lot of different weapons to, to worry about. And although no one was a great player, they were all dangerous, and it made the group dynamic because you couldn't defend everybody. You know, I, at USC, for example, in the last game of the year, put a lot of emphasis on making sure that Miles Boykin and Chase Claypool did not beat them. I mean, their whole game plan was built on that. And what that did was, and they were, they brought a lot of pressure. So what that did was, is they they tried to single cover Chris Fink, mm-hmm. and he had seven catches for eighty six yards and a touchdown in the first half, and would have had even more if Ian Book didn't miss him on a seam route that would have gone for a touchdown, and and that also meant that by doing the things that they were doing, Chip Long was able to to come up with a couple of big play opportunities. You know, using the 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 buck sweep because they were so aggressively playing the pulling lineman, he would pull the lineman to the right. And then ran Dexter Williams to the left. So there was literally no one blocking for Dexter Williams except for Cole Met, and it goes for a fifty plus yard touchdown. Because they were able to take advantage of the fact that that with with that USC defense, you, like when they you had to pick your poison. And th- they chose, okay, we're not gonna get beat by Miles Boykin and Chase Claypool. And so Chris Fink and Dexter Williams hurt him. Yeah. And then Tony Jones had the ice, the, the you know, the, the game winner at the end. So that's what a great re- website should do. Or I mean, a great, great website. <laughs> Sorry, um, a great receiving core should do is is it's not just one guy. It's do you have multiple guys? I thought that's what made this year. You know, if you try to take Chase Claypool out, then you had to worry about Cole Komet. And when Braden Lindsey finally got part of the offense, then it really became a problem. Uh, you know, and and we started to see him really impact team, the thing late in the year because you couldn't focus on Braden Lindsey's speed because you had to worry about Chase Claypool and Cole Komet beating you. And so that's what I think this group is capable of. I think the other observation I would make, Vince, is I – and I like your opinion on this as, as a former offensive coordinator. I personally, as a receiver's coach and as a pass game coordinator myself, I liked diversity at receiver. I liked different skill sets. I didn't like just having three big guys, which is kind of what we saw in 2018. I liked having guys that could win one-on-one. I liked speed guys. I liked quick guys. I liked route runners. I like the combination. Now, if you can get a 6'4 guy that's a great route runner, can make plays after the catch and run a 4'3, great. Give me Calvin Johnson. I'll take three Calvin Johnsons, right? But there aren't a lot of Calvin Johnsons, right? There aren't a lot of Randy Mosses. Um, I kind of like that diverse skill set, and that's something that I think this receiving core has a chance to have as well this year, Vince, is there's a lot of different type of skills. Even like like, So we'll we'll get into these players more, but like just from a skill set standpoint, 
Braden Lindsay and Lawrence Keyes may look the same body type wise. Yeah, 5'10, 5'11, buck 75. They're similar body types. Braden Lindsay is a little taller than that, but their skill sets are different. You know, the, the one guy's quick, one guy is more explosive. Kevin Austin and Javon McKinley bring different body types than those two guys. Joe Wilkins as a rotation player in the slot could bring something completely different than what Lawrence Keyes brings. Same with Ben Skoranek. So, I think that's something else I like is it's a very diverse group of receivers when you look at the different strengths that each player has. Well, I tell you what, and from a play calling standpoint, when you have a guy, you know, somebody that is, it almost becomes like a crutch when you're calling plays, you know, when, when it gets to, you know, nut cutting time and you're like, okay, what's the, what's the play I'm going to call here? You know, there's a lot of play callers out there that, okay, I got to get it to this guy, you know, and, and it becomes a crutch. And so I, I agree with you. When you have multiple options, which I do believe is going to be the case here with this wide receiver core, it's not going to be obvious who's getting the ball when it's on the, when the game is on the line, you know, and maybe one of these guys develops into that. Maybe it's a Kevin Austin. Maybe it's a Braden Lindsay. Who knows? But right now, I don't think there's a guy on this receiving core who you know the ball is going to go to last year you knew the ball was going to go to chase claypool when they needed a big play or cole Komet. or cole Komet, right. correct uh but now that's not the case and mm. you know maybe you know tremble becomes one of those guys but we're not talking about the tight right. ends we're right. talking about the wide receivers there was only one receiver on last year's team that you were like yeah that guy's got to get the ball exactly right. and, and like i said maybe somebody can develop into that but right out of the gate that doesn't exist. So that makes you even more dangerous, in my opinion, because you can't overload. You can't play a safety over the top of one guy and not worry about the other side. You have to play it safe, and you got to play it across the board. And so I think that benefits Tommy Reese, and I think it benefits you know Ian Book. As long as he's going through his progressions and doing what he's supposed to do, somebody's going to be open, and he just needs to find whoever that guy happens to be. For me, as a as a play caller, I liked having a guy who was the dude. The problem is, and I think this is what you were getting to. And correct me if I'm if I'm reading you you're reading you wrong here, but it's not that you don't want to have a Chase Claypool, right? It's that you have a Chase Claypool and there's no one else that scares you at receiver, <laughs> right? That's the issue. Yes, and and I want to chase. So hey, you want to? So here's a perfect example. So one year I coached, I had three kids who were who were either all conference or all American. And they were dynamic. And my best player was kind of my boundary guy. And I had a kid in the slot who was like a uh, literally ran like a four four five for the for the Eagles. And they invited him to training camp. And then I had another kid um, that I could play in the slot. And then I'd move the fast kid outside. And, and he was more of a possession. I had very unique skill set, but I had two guys that you had to worry about. One was kind of like a Michael Floyd type for the level we were at, and the other one was just a burner. And so each week, teams would look at it would handle us differently. Mm-hmm. And so some weeks they would try to take Michael Warfield out and he'd be our boundary guy. And then that would allow us to do things to the field with Yarden and, and, and Randy Velakovich and those kind of guys. Right. And then we played a, a team one week where they were afraid of Yarden's speed. So wherever Yarden went, they would put a safety in a corner over him. So if he was in the, in the nickel or in the slot, they'd put a, a corner and a safety over him. If we moved him to the boundary, they'd put a corner and a safety over him. It was the stupidest game plan ever. But they were like, well, we can't stop all of them. So our hope is is that we can stop one of them and right. then get to the quarterback. Yeah. So it took us a series or two for the, for us to realize, holy, this is what they're doing. So what we would do is we would move Yarden around. He caught like two passes for nine yards that game. 
but two other guys had 100 yards. Exactly. So we, so the, the point is, if we didn't have Michael and Randy to go with Yarden and they took Yarden out, we're screwed. We were going to be in trouble. Yeah. And that's what you like is if a team could take Chase Claypool out last year, okay, you better hope Cole Komet goes off because after that, I mean, Chris Fink's not beating Clemson. Right. right. Chris, that's not a knock on Chris Fink. He's not beating Georgia or fact. Alabama. Right. Whereas now, if you say, hey, you know what? I'm really worried about Javon McKinley and Kevin Austin in the boundary. We got to really slow those guys down. And, you know, we got to put our stud, our stud safety worrying about that Trumbull guy. Okay. Well, have fun watching Lawrence Keyes and Braden Lindsay crush you. We can't let Braden Lindsay beat us deep. We can't allow that speed to hurt us. So we're going to play off. Okay. Well, you're going to run for 225 yards and. Kevin Austin and Javon McKinley are going to combine for 13 catches. Or right. you, you know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, that's the thing that it 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 could be a situation where like Chase Claypool last year, where he just kind of went off every week, or like Will Fuller, or it could be a situation where one week it's Will Fuller going. I mean, I wish one week it's Kevin Austin <laughs> going off, one week it's Brain Lindsay going off, one week it's Tommy Trumbull going off, one week your backs catch 12 balls because they're so worried about the deep that they're just bailing. You know what I mean? So your backs catch 12 passes for 110 yards receiving because you're just checking down, like just turning that into your running. There's so many different weapons that you have, and that's what makes us dangerous. And so that's what I see out of this group is that diversity. And then you can you can bring Ben Skoranek off the bench. You can bring one of the two, yep. you know, either McKinley or, or Austin. You can bring Joe Wilkins off the bench. And and we'll get into the freshman here in a little bit. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. that's the thing for me is, yes, they lack experience. But if Notre Dame doesn't have a, a great offense this year, I will I will literally plug my ears and go la, 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 la to anyone who tries to tell me it's because of the receivers. Barring yeah. six dudes getting hurt. Right, like if it's a situation like that where like Lindsey Austin McKinley, you know, all those guys are hurt for half the year. Okay, yeah, the, whole, a, the whole top echelon just ha- goes right, down. Right. Yeah. Okay, that's that's a different situation. But the other thing too is in the unique situation that we find ourselves, uh, where whether you agree with it or not is not the point. The point is there's a good chance that if a player tests positive for COVID nineteen on Monday, he ain't playing on Saturday. And no. in past years, that could debilitate Notre Dame depending on who gets sick. True. If it was Chase Claypool getting sick, you have no chance of beating anybody any good. You better hope you're playing like Duke that week. Um, it, 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 Will Fuller goes down in 2015. That, that's going to really hurt your offense. Oh, yeah. Right? Now you're in a situation where if Kevin Austin gets sick and misses the game, you've got Javon McKinley, Ben Skronik, Micah Jones. If Brayden Lindsey gets sick with, with COVID – then you've got Joe Wilkins. You can. You've got Lawrence Keys. You've got Jordan Johnson. You've got Xavier Watts. You, you, you know what I mean. Like if Lawrence Keys gets COVID nineteen, you've got Ben Skoranek. You've got Joe Wilkins. You, there's so many. You can go two tight ends, right? Yeah, right. There's so many different options to where it, it does protect you a little bit for injury, for COVID nineteen, and that's really important because if if teams do what I think they're going to do, which is anyone that tests positive is not playing that week. Uh. I mean, this is a virus. It's not going away. Okay. And so guys are going to get it. So the teams that have the depth at key positions is are going to be the teams that are going to be able to get through the season and, and not be able to use that as an excuse for why you didn't succeed. No, I completely agree. And it's, it's very similar to when we talked about the running backs. I think this group complements each other very, very well. And mm-hmm. obviously we're going to get into detail about what this group brings to the table, but I'm, this is a group I'm excited about. Oh I, yes, I mean you. You and I have talked about our 
reservations about the excitement for Ian Book. I mean, I, I've seen things all the way from Heisman Trophy candidate to, you know, he's a bum and whatever, right? And everything in between. And so... Like he t- most polarizing quarterback that Notre Dame yeah. has had since Jimmy Clausen. Seriously. And maybe even more so. Yeah. And my predictions or, or what have you with Ian Book's success absolutely has a ton to do with who I see him throwing the ball to. And I just think that this group is so deep. I think they're so complimentary of each other. I think they actually have the talent to be very, very good as a group that it allows me to be that much more positive about Ian Book, Yes, if that makes sense. Oh, 100%, because I'm the same way. I'm actually, look, I don't know if there's, in the in the media, I don't know if there's been a bigger critic of Ian Book than me. And if there is one, it's you. <laughs> um, and and, 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 I'll, and, and I, I accept that because... I'm basing yeah. on what he's done. I, he has not played well in big games. Right. He has had certain issues, you know, with, with things. And, and uh, but I'm really optimistic about what he's going to be in 2020. Oh, and, for sure. and a big part of that is is because you need your pass game to fit your quarterback, and you need your skill to fit what you want to do for your pass game that then f- affects your quarterback. And when I look at Ian Book and I think about when was Ian Book at his best, it was not late last season. I'm sorry. They played really bad defenses. He didn't even right. play that great against Boston College. He didn't play that great against Stanford. Those didn't teams just well sucked. Virginia Tech. Right. He was terrible against Virginia Tech. Those teams just sucked. Right? And and so he didn't play anybody worth a darn. When I go back and look at how he was his first, I'd say probably like five or six games right. as a starter in 2018, that to me was Ian Book at his best. And what I'm – excuse me. What I mean by that is – it was when he was his most comfortable. Now, did he improve as a deep ball thrower in 2019? Absolutely. For sure. And the ideal situation is that he can he can take the deep ball throwing from last year and incorporate it with the precision that we saw from him his first year. Because, yep. And this is why I'm bringing it up because it does affect the receivers. When you looked at 2018, when he took over against Wake Forest, Stanford, Virginia Tech, Pitt, those first four games, and even Pitt when he didn't play well, he still made some money plays in that game. You know, he just struggled early, you know, early with some some things, correctable things. But and then you look the next week against Navy, twenty seven of thirty three. He just he was playing at such a high level because he wasn't locking into Miles Boykin. He wasn't just locking into Chase Clay. He was spreading the ball around, and it was I'm going to throw to that guy. I don't care if it's Chris Fink. I don't care if it's Claypool. I don't care if it's Boykin. I don't care who it is. I'm going to just take the read and I'm going to go with it. And I think last year one of his issues is he would lock in on a read before the snap. It's like whether it was locking in on Cole Komet or locking in on Chase Claypool or locking in on Fink, he was not going through his reads. And I think some of the injuries at receiver last year and the fact that that they they had to start putting Chris Fink outside where he just couldn't play and you know for whatever reason, I think that hurt him mentally. And and I think that that's what caused him to lock in. When I look at this receiving core and the skill sets they bring and the depth they bring, Ian Book doesn't have to look and say, okay, where's Chase? Okay, I got to find Chase. He can say, okay, what's the defense doing? And this is where I'm going to go with the ball. Because I don't care if it's Kevin Austin, Javon McKinley, Braden Lindsey, Lawrence Keyes, Joe Wilkins, Tommy Trumbull, uh, Brock Wright, George Takis, Michael Mayer. I mean, Jordan Johnson, Xavier Watts. There's playmakers. We haven't even talked about the running backs coming in the past game. Sure, yeah. You know, Jafar Armstrong or Chris Tyree. Like, he's got weapons galore, and he's got a really good experience really great pass-blocking offensive line in front of him. I think this receiving core is perfect for Ian Book because mm-hmm. you've got more guys. So so here, here, and this is the final piece of it, 
in 2018, he was comfortable because he could throw to anybody. But that group, you had to be methodical because it wasn't a big play group of receivers, right? You weren't going to throw a five-yard hitch to Chase Claypool and he's going to turn it into a 60-yard touchdown. You weren't going to hit right. Chris Fink on a slant route against a good team and he's going to turn it into a big play, right? So this group combines that efficiency potential that we saw uh, in 2018 where you've got some of the bigger guys, the, the McKinley and Austin and Trumbull and Takis and Brock Wright and Michael Mayer and those kind of guys. But you have also have a lot more explosiveness now where Lawrence Keyes can turn a slant into a big play. Brayden Lindsey can turn a jet sweep into a 60-yard touchdown, right? He can take a hitch route, make one guy miss, and outrun everybody for a touchdown. And that's going to make Ian Book even better too because as that happens, he doesn't now have to throw the ball 40 times. He can throw it 31 times. You know what I mean? And then now you add that big play element, too, that he didn't have in 2018 where teams really weren't afraid of him throwing over the top. So when you look at that diversity of skills, I think it's going to make Ian Book a lot more comfortable as a quarterback in a way that we did not see in 2019. Where if he couldn't go to Chase or Cole, it's like, he didn't feel great. You know, he'd be late with his reads and his throws. I don't think he's going to have that problem this year because now it's just focus on the defense. Read it out and get the ball wherever it needs to go. I don't care who you throw it to. If I'm putting a receiver or a tight end on the field, that dude's a baller. Throw him the ball. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's going to help him too. So so that's what kind of excites me about this passing game because I think this passing game is or this, this receiving core is perfectly suited for Ian Book as a quarterback. Well, and before we dive into, you know, specifically these guys, we're not predicting that they're going to be able to make these big plays. We've seen it. Right, we've seen Braden Lindsay take a handoff in the backfield and take it for a touchdown. A couple times, we've, we, we've <laughs> see, yeah, that's what I'm saying. We, we've seen uh, Lawrence Keys take a bubble screen to the house, you know, from 60 yards out or whatever it was. You know, we've seen these big plays from these guys, so we know they have. Well, the we ability saw to we saw it. him make a big play against Georgia in a one on one situation outside. If you remember that late in the first half, where Lawrence right. Keys outplayed a Georgia corner for the ball in a big situation to set up a field goal, and you know Kevin Austin had you know has not shown it as much, but like we saw it a little bit. Yeah, you know, we saw it against Navy, and 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 uh, you know, obviously Ben Skaronic has has made some of those plays. So yeah, I mean, we know what these guys can do. Correct. Um, it's not pure extrapolation right, on our part. You right. Know? Right. It's like, hey, this guy was really good in high school, and I'm hoping as a freshman he can be good. Look, the, right. look here, at the end of the day, here's the deal, Vince. There's no excuses. These kids are juniors. The kids that work. So, so let's dive into this, right? Number one, I think that we kind of established during that expectations, this is a deep group of receivers, which means they need to play a lot of guys, especially early. Yes. They need to go five, six deep every game in the first month of the season. Now, if you get into November and – four guys have established themselves, then you play that's them different. more. Yeah, okay, But in September and October, they need to be five, six guys deep. They need to be making sure that, that a lot of different guys are getting in the game and getting experience. And not just putting them in the game to give them 10 snaps, but get them the flipping ball. <laughs> right. You know, um, which drove me nuts. They put like Lawrence Keyes in after after Michael Young and after Braden Lindsay and Chris Fink all got in the li- lineup. It's like Lawrence Keyes was gone. That was they would just when they put him in the game, they never look at him. I, I don't want to see that mess, right? I want to see the ball being spread around and all those kind of things. Now at the same time, you still need some guys to step up and emerge. Now, again, they don't need to be 70-catch, 1,200-yard guys. That's not what we're talking about. But they need to be dependable guys that you can go to, that you can count on week after week. Now, maybe one week because of game plan, Kevin Austin. or But but the, the four guys that we kind of look to, and, and they need three of these four guys to step up, in my view. And that's Kevin Austin, Javon McKinley, 
Tommy, uh, excuse me, Braden Lindsay and Lawrence Keys, and that's what you and I discussed before the show. Three, at least, I would say at least two of those four guys need to step up as dudes this year. Again, not seventy catch, twelve hundred dudes, but if you leave me in a one on one, that's going to look really bad on you. They need at least two of them, and if three of them step up, this receiving core has a chance. But here's the deal, Vince, and this is the point I was going to make. Of those four guys, three of them are juniors, and one of them is a fifth-year senior. Do not come at me with inexperience being an issue when you're talking about a, a group of players where the guys that you're depending on, and we haven't even talked about Ben Skoranek, who's a fifth-year senior. Right. The, we're just talking returners. Of those four returners, you have three juniors and a fifth-year senior. If the words inexperience come out of your mouth when you talk about this receiving core, that is a you problem, not a them problem. And that's not an excuse I'm going to buy. I love it. I know. And you're right. And the only way you could even use the word inexperience, and it's not even a correct use of the word, is just because of their you know career catches, et cetera. And that's not inexperience. They have been on the field. They've been in the program. There's, you're right. They're not inexperienced. I mean, they, they've been around the block. There's no question about it. Exactly. You, they, if they've been in your system for two full years now and they're not experienced, that's your problem. Yeah. No, yes. no, no other team is saying that. You, you know, no other legitimate team is talking about. Well, you know, our juniors and our fifth year senior just haven't called. You know, <laughs> you just don't see that. And and I don't think and I don't think Dell Alexander is that kind of coach either. I'm not worried about Dell. I, I think Dell's shown that when guys get, I have issues with Dell Alexander coaching up freshmen. That's an issue, but I think that's something that's more of a Brian Kelly issue. Uh, of what I think Brian Kelly wants his coaches to focus on. But we've yeah. seen as guys become juniors and seniors under Dale Alexander, they've thrived. Um, you know, so so th- there's no excuses for that. But it, it is important because here's the here's the one thing the cat that, that kind of is going to be a little bit sound like it's contradicting what we said earlier. Although I don't think anyone needs to step up and be Will Fuller or Chase Claypool from 2019 or or Golden Tate from 2018 or 2019 or Michael Floyd, right? They do need guys to step up and be playmakers, consistent playmakers, to where, you know, Braden Lindsey doesn't need to catch 75 balls for 1,200 yards like Will Fuller did, but he needs to be a guy that's out there every week and he's making plays. Uh, you know, he it, Kevin Austin needs to, to be out there and making plays. Javon McKinley, Lawrence Keyes. If those guys don't step up and play to their potential this season and they're just all kind of solid players – Notre Dame will win nine or ten games, and those guys will play well in, against you know Navy and Arkansas and Western Michigan, but they're not going to play well against Wisconsin. Uh, so if you look at East Wisconsin, uh, you look at Pitt, you look at USC, Louisville, and Clemson. If they don't step up and be dudes, they may play good in a couple of those games, but not enough of them to where Notre Dame's going to be, uh, you know, a playoff contender, which is what Notre Dame should be. And so they do need to step up. They just don't need to be the volume producers. That's the point. But they yeah. do need to step up and be playmakers. I, I, I want to make sure that's clear. Yeah, I got a question for you. It's right along these lines, right? What would you rather see happen? Okay. Would you rather have one guy with 75 catches and a boatload of touchdowns? Or would you? Or do you think that everybody, you know, top three or four guys all around 50 catches is where you want this team to be? I, I want to see the balls. I think, I think in a 13-game season, I think – you can have three guys over 50 catches and spread the ball around. Okay. Uh, but but to your point, so so if we take away the specific number of 50 and let's just go with three guys, it's kind of like 2018. Three guys, a receiver, had the 90-some percent of the catches. Right. Whatever the number is, 50, 60, whatever the number is. Okay. Um, 
I would much rather see it spread out more. Mm-hmm. I would much rather see a situation like what we saw, um, you know, like Clemson kind of had this in 2018. You know, Justin Ross had 46 catches, T. Higgins 59, Amari Rogers 55, Hunter Renfro 49. Darian Kendrick, 15, DeAndre Overton, 14, Trevion Thompson, 15, uh, 21, TJ Chase, 13. Like, the ball was spread around pretty good. Yeah. You know, I, I want to see Ohio State was like that a couple years ago. Uh, I think their 2018 pass offense was like that as well, where the ball really got spread. I mean, Ohio State, to me, is, you know, you had Paris Campbell had 90 catches, K.J. Hill had 68, Terry McLaurin, 35, Johnny Dixon, 42, Benjamin Victor, 21, Austin Mack, 26 in eight games. Uh, you know, your running back, J.K. Dobbins had 26, your tight end had 20, Chris Olave had 12. You know, now some of that's going to be taken down a little bit because of the, I'm going to throw the tight ends in there too, right? Sure. No, but yeah, absolutely. why can't – they had – I'm looking at – they had eight guys with over 200 yards receiving. Mm-hmm. They had eight guys with – actually, I'm sorry. They had nine guys with over 20 catches. You know, I mean, that that's 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 called spreading the wealth, man. Like, that is big time. And, and you know, then you look at Notre Dame, and this past year they had three guys with more than 20 catches. They had a bunch of guys with like 10, 11, 13. But those guys were getting that play in like mop-up time. You know what I mean? And then, you, you know, you looked at – you look in uh, 2018, Notre Dame only had seven players total – catch double digits and they only had four guys over 20 and so that's that everything was kind of in a couple guys and that would hurt them against you know hurt them against Clemson because they could take out the outside guys like like you need to have a situation where if a team like USC and and this is back to the conversation earlier Vince if team uh, the really good teams are and the really talented teams are going to have good enough players to take somebody out and in 2018 against USC, USC had big physical corners. They could take, and with their pressures where you couldn't let the plays extend, with those pressures they brought, they they could take Boykin and Claypool out of the game to a degree. But because you had Chris Fink and because you had Dexter at running back, you could make them pay. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But if Chris Fink sprained his ankle in the first quarter, who are you going to go to? Right. Because they didn't play. Brain Lindsey and Lawrence Keyes didn't play all year. Heart, you know, like mop up time for Lawrence Keys. Brain Lindsay, I think, played in one game. You know what I mean? And so, uh, you know, or what if you play a team like like LSU? What if Notre Dame has to play LSU in the playoff, right? Mm. Or in a bowl mm. game? And LSU's got Derek uh, Stingley. They've got all these corners. They can lock up on you, man to man. You know, w- w- what do you? Who's going to step up and make a play? Right? Somebody's. That's that. To your question, that's where somebody's got to step up. And and if you only got one dude. And they can just if Kevin Austin's your dude and, and he's got a lot of your catches, and and you put your you know you put Stingley on him. I'm I'm sorry, Kevin Austin's probably not going to have nine catches for 150 yards, because that guy's just as good as he is, if not better, right? And if you don't have the ability to spread things around, then you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna stumble. Or sure. what if that happens and then Braden Lindsey gets hurt or something? You know, I mean that stuff that stuff happens. And and we saw that with Ohio State this year in their playoff when J.K. Dobbins went down. The 2019 offense for Ohio State, to me, was far more dependent on a smaller number of players than it was in 2018. And when J.K. Dobbins went down in that game, that's when Ohio State went from on heading to beat Clemson to losing to Clemson. And Notre Dame can't be in that situation, and that's why I really I would much rather have the ball being spread around. But 
That only works, Vince, if it's being sp- spread around by clutch pl- to clutch players. So, you know, Ian Book's got to know these are the guys I can depend on. And now who that's going to be is going to vary week by week. And this is the great thing as a coordinator. If you're playing teams that can take away Chase Claypool and, and, and Miles Boykin, but you've got other playmakers, then you can game plan things. The thing that hurt Notre Dame against USC in 2018 overall is Chris Fink was able to make some plays and Dexter Williams had the big play, but they weren't efficient in that game because they didn't have guys that could really, you know, they could build their game plan around going into it. So like, so they had to react to USC taking those guys out. Whereas if the, if you had a better, more dynamic slot player and, and a more dynamic tight end or, or different, you know, different players, then you could have gone into that game game planning. Hey, we know what they're going to do. They have big corners, so we're going to tear them up. We're going to tear them up up the middle and over the middle with Lindsey and Keys and these guys, right? And they can keep their big corners on the outside all they want. And Notre Dame didn't have that. Now they do. Chris Fink was a nice complimentary player. Sure, sure. Now they have guys that I think you can game plan around. So if you're playing a team like Clemson in 2018, that they've got these big corners, you've got the athletes say, hey, we're going we're going we're going to take advantage of that, okay? We've got weapons in the slot or tight end where we can take advantage of their safeties. You know what I mean? And we'll use our big guys as decoys, that kind of thing. Or we'll move our big guys inside and see what they do. And if they put their stud corners inside in the slot, then we got a one-on-one with Braden Lindsay outside against their third corner. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so that you have those kind of weapons now that I don't think they've had in the past. Where if a team could take Will Fuller out or if Will Fuller had a bad game, the offense was going to sputter. And the Boston College game in 2019 or 2015 is a great example. Not only did you have the turnovers, but remember Will Fuller had a big drop that game. He just wasn't he wasn't locked in. Um, you know, your studs, Procise and Fuller, had bad games, and your offense sputtered. And I don't think they're going to be in quite the same situation in 2020 because they have such depth of talent. And I know that was a, a much longer answer than you probably asked for. But did I did I answer your question? <laughs> Absolutely. No, I, I'm on the same page as you. I, I think that. You're, you're a better offense when you can spread the ball around. And it's just a matter of who are you spreading it around to and what are they going to do with it when they get it. That is what gets a quarterback's confidence in you. It's, okay, I got you the ball. Now what did you do with it? And I think that that's going to be key over the first few games of the season. And I'm not saying that Ian Book doesn't trust the guys that he's throwing the ball to, but I'm saying the proof's at the pudding. Like they, He needs to see that him taking a chance on somebody is going to pay off. And he's going to remember that the next time he sees you running open. Mm-hmm. He, I, I mean, that, that's just a fact. I mean, he's going to throw to the open guy, but he's going to be a lot more uh, depth to throw to you w- if you are a guy that can make plays for him. No, no question. Uh, I think beyond those guys stepping up, I do think this unit, in order to have the depth that Notre Dame's going to have, because I don't think Braden Lindsay's a guy you want playing 70 snaps a game. I don't think Lawrence Keyes is a guy you want playing 70 snaps a game because of the bodies they have. Uh, maybe they stay healthy, but they're going to wear down in November, right? Uh, so I do think the depth is important. So you need some role players to step up. And I think this is going to be a big part of this receiving core, too. That's where Ben Skoranek comes into play. Look, I don't expect his numbers to be any better this year than they were at Northwestern. And he was never a great player at Northwestern. He never had more than 45 catches. He never had, you know, he never got to 700 yards in a season. And he's going to be that same guy this year, ideally. If he's doing more than that, that's probably not a good sign for Notre right. Dame. Um, but you need him to be that role. He can play into the boundary, he can play to the field, he can play in the slot, he can do a lot of different things, and he's not going to be a volume guy, but when you need a third and five, probably a decent chance he's going to be on the field, right? Um, so I think that's important. I think Joe Wilkins needs to step up 
and, 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 and turn what they've said he does in practice and do it on game day and be that role player to where, again, depth is not about being able to put bodies out there. Notre Dame always has bodies. But are you putting Daniel Smith out there or are you putting in a guy that can go out there and, and make a play, right? And are you going to have confidence to throw the ball to him in those situations? And I think that is something that I really think is important when you look at building a great receiving core is, you know, the, if you're going, if you're playing 70 snaps a game and you don't want Braden Lindsay to be on the field for more than 40, well, what quad are you getting from those other 30? Some of that will be taken by going to two tight ends, right? But some of that needs to be taken by Skoranek and Joe Wilkins and other players stepping into those roles and being effective players. That's going to be a big part of this too is Lindsey and Keys and, and, and Austin and McKinley are probably going to be the guys that get a lot of the love and, and the more of the catches. But I think those other guys are going to get opportunities to make some clutch plays, and if they do it, that's what's going to really separate this group and, in my opinion, make it special. They're going to be really good if those guys step up, but to make it really special – you're going to need those depth players, those role players, to embrace those 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 opportunities and make plays because that's only going to even more add to Ian Book's confidence. Is like I don't care, I don't have to, I don't know, I don't care if Lindsey's on the field or not. I know the play call, and I and I'm just reading it out, and I don't care if it's Joe Wilkins or or Ben Skoranek or Lawrence Keys or Braden Lindsey or Javon McKinley or or whoever else. I, I I'm I'm going to go where the defense tells me I need to go because I have confidence in those guys. But they got to show that. They got to earn that for me. But I think Lindsey Keys to a degree have earned that. McKinley has kind of earned that to a degree. Kevin Austin uh-huh. has to earn it still. Yeah. Joe Wilkins needs to earn it. Um and, and that's going to to me is going to what separates from this being a really good group of receivers or an elite group of receivers. Well, and we're since we're kind of talking about that second tier, is that would that be accurate? We're kind of yeah. On the second I, I tier, call right? them like role players, is what yeah. I call them. I don't want to okay. call them second tier because well, I, you know, yeah, I understand what you're saying, but like to me, it's like it's like, find that role, find that niche, yeah. and thrive in it for sure. I well, one of the guys that we haven't really brought up yet, who I've really got my eye on this year because I think he's an amazing athlete who is clearly a team guy who's going to do whatever you ask him to do. That's Avery Davis. Yeah, now, I I think that he can be an impactful role player uh, in this group i mean he, he can play in the slot without any problem obviously he can go in the backfield and then you know motion out to the slot whatever whatever the case may be i really think that he can be something special and i'm really looking forward to seeing what he can what he can do uh you know once he gets his chance on the field so i agree with you and i think the thing about about avery davis is He's not going to be, and this is exactly the point why I say role players, niche players, because he's not going to be a guy that goes out there and has 80 touches this year for right, 1,200 right. yards. But if you get 30 touches, make them count. Yes. If you get 25 touches, make them count. And and, and that's my whole point, and that's what I, I look for. When I when I look at, like, for example, the Ohio State receivers, you know, Paris Campbell is really good, but you saw K.J. Hill make big plays. You saw Terry McLaurin make big plays. You saw Johnny Dixon make important plays. You know, Benjamin Victor that year, I think that's the year where they were struggling against Penn State, and he ripped off a big play, you know, on the road against Penn State that, that helped them come back and win that game. You know, so so it, it's it's got to be those – it's not always your dude. And then late in the year, we saw Chris Alabe step up and, and make some big plays late in the year. You know, he was a guy that caught one pass – or excuse me, two passes in their first like nine, eight or nine games, and then all of a sudden he's making big plays against Michigan, and he's you know he's and he, he catches two touchdowns against Michigan, and then he catches a touchdown in the Big Ten title game. I mean, the dude literally went into the Michigan game with what what five career catches, 
and he catches two touchdowns. Never been in the end zone. True freshman. Steps up and makes two touchdowns and a win over Michigan. Goes into the Big Ten title game, five catches, 79 yards, and a touchdown. Right? That That's what I'm talking about. Like, to where those guys may not get a ton of touches, but those touches are going to matter. And, and they're going to be impactful. And that's, to me, what a role player, what a niche player is. is and, and Avery Davis could be that guy. You know, so if, if Braden Lindsey goes down, you don't completely lose that skill set. If Avery Davis can step up, he may not be Braden Lindsey. Sure. But you can still use him as a niche player. Or, you know, again, more importantly, if Braden Lindsey is healthy, then you can maybe use him and Lawrence Key to sub him and Lawrence Keys and you give him, you know, 15 to 20 snaps a game and, and maybe he only gets one or two touches per game. But those touches are, if you don't pay attention to him, he's going to take a jet sweep and go 50 yards if you don't respect him. Yep. And we've seen him do it. I mean, we, we've seen his speed on the field. I can't remember what game it was, but he, he took a, a, a short pass all the way to the house, didn't he, at one point? I mean, he, he's Yeah, he took speed. a – against uh, – it was New Mexico. He took a little jet, a little shovel pass and just yeah, turned it into – that's what it was. Because they weren't – when he went in motion, they didn't pay attention to him. Exactly. And and that's the big thing. And, now again, it was New Mexico, but the point is we've, we saw that with Braden Lindsey. You know, the teams didn't pay attention to him. USC didn't pay attention to him. And so he ripped it off. So, hey, some of y'all are going to hear a weird noise the last couple minutes at the end of the show. Um, my dog is asleep beside me, and she is snoring louder than I've ever heard her snore before. So <laughs> if you do hear a noise, that is what that is. But she has had a rough night. My dog, uh, Rita, does not do well in storms. Oh, so she yeah. didn't get a lot of sleep the last couple nights, and so I don't have the heart to wake her up right now. So apologies in advance if you hear that. Uh, but hey, that's you got to do that sometimes. But but yeah, I think those role players are important. I think those because it, it's not just important for what they do, but if they can give legitimate minutes, it now takes some of that that snap volume pressure off of the young uh, the the smaller guys, Keys, Lindsey, guys like that. And yes. that's to me what helps Alabama, helped Alabama last year. They didn't have big receivers, but they had five four four guys that could ball. So they could go, you know, two, three receivers, and they were always rotating a fourth guy in that was just as good as the other guys, you know, to a, to a certain degree. And so that allowed them to 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 you know not only game plan and, and take advantage of matchups, but you could kind of keep guys a little bit fresher late in the year. Here's the here's the interesting thing. This is how good this receiving core is, in my opinion. When was the last time you saw a five star receiver get? as little discussion as Jordan Johnson's getting. Yeah. Yeah. Going into this season. Because everyone's talking about Kevin Austin and Lindsey and Keys and, and and rightfully so. There's been a lot of years in the past where we'd be wondering how soon it's going to be between before Jordan Johnson and Xavier Watts start taking snaps away from starters. There's been a lot of Brian Kelly teams where we'd be talking about that. Oh yeah. And and to me, that's important. But you know, Vince, we were we were on the radio the other night and you guys asked me um, you guys asked me about Jordan Johnson. It was two weeks ago. I think Darren asked me about Jordan Johnson, and he said, you know, uh, you know, if somebody gets hurt or whatever, you know, uh, you know, should Jordan Johnson play? And my thing is, if all those guys step up that we talked about, if Lindsey, Keys, Austin, McKinley, if all those guys step up, you still need to play Jordan Johnson and Xavier Watts, especially early in the season. Because, look, none, neither of those guys are going to be five-year players. Well, that, and that's, that's, that's the key. Yeah, so right play them. Play them, especially in September into mid-October. Play them. Play them. Give them snaps. Give them touches. Now, come November when it's Clemson and it's Louisville and it's USC, maybe they don't play as much if they're not as good as the four or five guys ahead of them. 
there's no reason for them not to play in, in September and October because that's going to make those other guys fresher late in the year. But maybe they prove to be better than your starters. But I just really feel that depth is important. And they need no more BS about, you know, Jordan Johnson doesn't know the route tree like the other guys. Who cares? You know what I mean? Like, do you really think Justin Ross is a true freshman, knew the route tree as much as Hunter Renfro? No. <laughs> right, right. But, you know, and again, I'm not saying they're Justin Ross, but the point is those guys are good football players. And, you know, you don't want to be in a situation – if we think about, you know, you go back to the 2011 game against Michigan, you know, Aaron Lynch and Stephon Tuitt didn't know the defense like the other players. But you know what? Those other players weren't athletic enough to tackle Denard Robinson in the fourth quarter. They were. And you lost that game because your two best athletes on your defense were standing on the sidelines because they didn't know the defense the way you needed it to. You know what I mean? And oh, yeah. um, that, that, that can't happen. They need to play those kids. Because here's the other thing. With the COVID situation being what it is, with the fact that Kevin Austin has had his issues, and, I, and I, it sounds like those are behind him, which is – exciting and and he's certainly got talent to be a great player I just I hesitate to put the the pressure on him that I think some are he can be a star it wouldn't shock me if he's a star I think expecting him to be a star is a little unfair but you know Braden Lindsay's struggled to stay healthy Lawrence Keyes is a little guy that's been a little banged up during his career Kevin Austin Javon McKinley has never stayed healthy Ben Skoranek's coming off of a knee injury right you don't want to go into you know the Clemson game and one guy's injured and one guy tests positive for COVID and now you're throwing Jordan Johnson and Xavier Watts out there and they've never played more than five snaps in a game. Right. You, you can't have that. You have to play your depth this year. If Brian Kelly doesn't like playing freshmen just because, then this is the year he needs to get over that more than any. Because, number one, he's got some freshmen that can flat-out ball. Jalen, look, Jordan Johnson, Xavier Watts, Chris Tyree, Michael Mayer, there's no excuse not to play those guys. None, zip, zero, zilch, nada. Play them, right? This is the year for that, even more than normal years. Play them. Those guys need those opportunities because here's the thing. If you get Jordan Johnson and Xavier Watts some reps early and they go make plays, guess what that does to Kevin Austin and Javon McKinley and Braden Lindsay and Lawrence Keyes and Joe Wilkins? Uh, I better bring it this Tuesday in practice. Yep. Because if I don't, Xavier Watts is going to put me on the sidelines or Jordan Johnson is going to put me on the sidelines, right? And that's the same thing at tight end. If Tommy Tremble isn't locked in and not focused on practice or coming late or dropping balls, you know what, dude? I, you're having a bad day. I get it, Tommy. Why don't you come over and stand by me? Hey, Michael Mayer, why don't you go in there and take those reps for him, okay, buddy? <laughs> you know what I mean? And then, they, hey, you know what, coach? I'm feeling good. <laughs> I'm feeling better. Uh, you know, and, and and that's important. That's a big part of this whole thing, too, is get those guys the ball. You know, let let Xavier Watts turn a slant into a 60-yard touchdown or take a jet sweep because now all of a sudden, you know, your veterans are like, hmm, I'm not feeling great today. I have a big test later tomorrow this week. But you know what? I better bring it today because otherwise I'm going to be on the sidelines getting all the studying in I want to do as I'm watching Xavier Watts or Jordan Johnson ball that's right. in my place. And I think that is a very healthy thing. That's what they do at Clemson. That's what they do at Ohio State. That's what they do at Bama. And that's something Pete Carroll did all the time when he was competing for championships every year at USC. And that's where Notre Dame needs to be. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that it's going to be interesting because there are a lot of guys who deserve playing time. And well, talent-wise. Talent-wise. Yeah, right. Talent-wise. And and I agree with you in the fact that these freshmen need to get on the field because they're not going to be five-year players. So there's no point in keeping them out. Oh, well, we're going to redshirt them or we're going to do right. the four-game thing. Like, like or, let me or, ask you this, Vince. 
Braden Lindsay in, took a red shirt in 2018. Barring a lot of injuries, is there any chance in heck that Braden Lindsay comes back for a fifth year? I highly doubt it. And if he was willing to come back for a fifth year because he hasn't become, played like an NFL player yet, do you want him back for a fifth year? Right. Right? So you you missed – there was no reason for Braden Lindsay not to get 10 yeah. plays a game as a freshman in 2018. Yeah. Hey, you know what? It's like with Golden Tate in 20, 2007. I thought one of the dumbest things Charlie Weiss and his coaching staff ever did was not playing Golden Tate more. And the thing that I was told is, well, he only knows how to run go routes and slant routes. And Okay, fine. Okay. okay. Teach him how to run a hitch, a slant, and a go. That's it. Yep. You know? And and you, you, you get him to do that. And the same thing with Jordan. If Jordan Johnson only knows how to run three routes, then I don't care. You put him in there and you call plays for him to run those three routes. Same yeah. with Xavier Watts. There's yeah. no reason not to do that. And you tell me Braden Lindsay couldn't have done that. You, you couldn't have Braden Lindsay run a slant, a jet sweep, a post route, and a go route. Like, literally, you're playing five plays. I'm going to send you on a go, two goes, a post. You're going to run a slant, and you're going to run a jet sweep, and we're going to throw a screen to you. Six plays, okay? Right. That's called good coaching. Yeah, that's right. And there's plenty of plays in a game where you could get these guys in the game. There just is. And, and don't just put them in there as a cameo. Put them in there and get them the ball. I mean, get them the ball. I, it, too many times we've seen them not utilize their younger players, and too many times we've seen them not even use utilize their second string players. Right. They and, just go in there and they're literally just taking up snaps. Yes. They're clearly not going to get the ball. me because yeah. there's talent here, and I get it. If 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 there's such a talent gap between your ones and your twos, I get it. And there have okay. been a lot of years where that was the sure. case, but that's not the case this year. Right. That is not the case this year. There, look. The starters are pretty much penciled in, and I get that. But there's guys nipping at their heels, and those guys deserve playing time. They yeah. just do. And I'll be very, very upset if that's not the case. And I'm, that's not what I'm anticipating, right. but I would be very upset if that was the case. I'm not anticipating it because I'm trying to use some common sense. But I do think it's fair to discuss it because of what we've seen in the past. Sure. Uh, and I'm hoping that, you know, with Tommy Reese taking over and, and Brian Kelly, you know, whatever, the quote, new leaf we see from him seems on a yearly basis. Um, it's time to step up and say, OK, you know, what we were doing before was good, but it's not good enough. So right. we got all these weapons. Let's use them. Use them. And, and, and if you have guys that you're worried about them getting hurt, that's even more reason to, pl- to, to play more guys. Yes. And limit their limit their time. I mean, right. look, I limit I want... the wear and tear. Like yes. if Brady yes. Lindsay plays sixty snaps against Navy or even more than fifty snaps against Navy or Arkansas or, or Western Michigan, I'm gonna I'm gonna lose it. That's a huge problem. And I don't because... even care if he I mean he'll ball out of course, but that's not the point. Right. You know, I mean, yeah, play fifty against Wisconsin. Sure, go the, for it. The first four or five games of this season allow you to use your depth. It allows you to get those guys' experience. It allows you to figure out who you can trust and who you can't. And if they're not doing that, then there's a huge red flag going yeah. into the second half of the season. Because what you're going to find potentially is you're going to find that you're going to have your starters. So let's say the penciled-in starters are either McKinley or Austin the boundary and then Lindsay and Keys. Let's just go with that, okay? And it could be Scarron, whatever, but that's what we're going to go with. You start with that, but then as you get into the game, you say, "Hey, look, this trio or this du- this two duo works really well in the two tight end sets." So you know Jordan Johnson, when we can isolate him on a tight end side, the concepts we like to call are the stuff he's really good at and comfortable right. with. Yes. So when we go twelve personnel, we're gonna that's Jordan Johnson's time, right? Or when we go four receivers, we want to have 
some bigger bigger players in there. So we're going to put McKinley and Austin on the field together as opposed to four smaller, faster guys. Or in this matchup, we really like – we like this – you know, so you come up with different position groups. You have your speed group. So when I was coaching, we had our 10 personnel, right? And so we had our 10 personnel big. We had our 10 personnel we call speed. And so we'd go 10 and we'd hold up like flexing. So that when, when we did that, that's okay. We had a 10 personnel where I had two tall guys that went outside and then my two faster guys would go inside. When we went 10 speed, we put our speed, we, four guys that can flat out run, right? Yep. So yep. that's the thing is you, that's, it's, it, that's how you do it. But when you're doing that, you have to make sure that when teams see that Joe Wilkins is on the field, they're not like, okay, we don't have to worry about them throwing to the X. Or, you know, if, if they're playing, you know, Ben Skoranek comes in and he's like, well, he, we know he's not going to run a route beyond 10 yards, right? Like, you know, you got to have these guys – legitimate weapons not just as placeholders while you're giving a guy a breather that's really important because good coaches are going to see that hey when 18's on the field they're throwing away from them or they're right. or they're going to run they run 70 percent of the time when that personnel package is in the field and good coaches are going to see that now some teams aren't are, are good coaches but they're not talented enough to stop it clemson is wisconsin is usc mm-hmm. is louisville is Pitt might even be with how good their defense could be this year. So um, that that to me is going to be key. It is really and, – and I'll say this in Tommy Reese's defense. That's not easy. It's not easy to, to – like so, so like it sounds like we're like, oh, this is no problem. Just keep rolling guys out there. It's not that simple because some guys are going to have different strengths. And so your game plan has to be really thought out about when this guy is in the, feet, in the game, this is how we utilize him. This is the concepts that we call to make sure that we're not asking Joe Wilkins to run the same routes as at X as we just asked Braden Lindsay to do the series before because that's not his game. And that's another reason why I'm a little concerned about an inexperienced offensive coordinator, to be honest. But I also think that there's the chance of, well, since this is Tommy Reese's first go of it and they don't have a dude to build around, maybe he'll look more into that. And think more than that because I think he's a really sharp guy, and I think that that him having so sort of a an NFL type of thought process with route concepts, I think that could help because in the NFL, lots you, you see the ball spread around a little bit, a lot more. Sure. And so I'm hope I'm hopeful, but I'm also so you know kind of cautiously optimistic about it. You know what I mean? Um, but that's what we have to see. And, and again, at the end of the day, Vince, if it's done right or even kind of right. This receiving core has a chance to be outstanding because I think their skill set fits in so well with what they have a quarterback, which is a guy that's a should be a a quick decision, precision, get the ball out kind of guy that has showed in 2019 the ability to also, if you want to play everybody up because you think we're going to be short, 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 I'm throwing the sucker over your head to Braden Lindsay or Kevin Austin or Tommy Right. Trouble. Yep. And and I think this group has a chance to be really special. And and um, if they are, this Notre Dame offense is going to be really, really hard to stop. And I don't care who they're playing. Clemson, Pitt, USC, I don't, playoff, I don't care. If this offense is used correctly, it's got a chance to be yeah. really, really special. Just from a talent standpoint. Everywhere you're, you're at. Line, quarterback, running back, not as much, but still there. Tight end, receiver. Big time talent at offensive line, tight end, receiver, and quarterback. And if you can't develop an elite offense with this group, 
is it going to happen under the current <laughs> yeah, regime? Sure, yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing you got to look at. So, and that's that's where we're at, man. That's that's my overall thoughts on the on the receiving core. Anything else you'd like to add about this group? No, I, I I'm trying to feign my excitement um, about this group and be as you know subjective as possible. But man, I. I think this group could be special. I think this group could be electric. But I think, I think you can be a subjective plays, and say man. that. That's the yeah. thing. You can be subjective. Because, look, me saying I think Braden Lindsay's a touchdown waiting to happen every time he touches the ball is not me saying, you know, at Portland T-Guard, that's what he did. No. This is – the dude barely touched the ball last year. I mean, like, think about this. When, when you look at his touch per big play ratio last year, it was absurd. Yeah. I mean, it was absolutely absurd. Braden Lindsey caught 11 passes last year and carried the ball 13 times. He had 24 carries. That's it. And he had four touchdowns, and they were all long. So one every six times he touched the ball last year, he scored. score. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that doesn't include the 52-yard bomb he caught against uh, New Mexico that didn't go for a touchdown. Right. It, it, all, it or, also doesn't count his kick return in the bowl game yeah. that almost went for a or touchdown. Or the drag route that went for 19 yards against Virginia Tech that w- would have been a 60-yard play if the quarterback didn't throw it would at his ankles. in front of him. I know. Ugh. You know what I mean? Um, you know, so the, so the point is you, he doesn't need to touch, touch the ball 10 times a game. He only needs to touch it six, five, and he's a, he's a big time. But the point is we've seen it. Correct. And we didn't just see it against Bowling Green in New Mexico. We saw it against USC. Saw it against BC. We saw it against Stanford if the quarterback could have thrown the ball accurately. We saw it against Virginia Tech, you know, and and so we've seen it against good teams. Saw it against Navy; they finished in the top twenty-five last year. So that we we've seen Lawrence Keys against Georgia in a big moment go make a play. So we've seen Javon McKinley make plays like you know New Mexico Bowling Green, but like did you watch him beast Caleb Farley, his first team All ACC corner last year on the only throw he had to him against Virginia Tech last year? I I, I remember that. Right, so we've seen Tommy Trumbull step up and ball. So these are not guys we think, based on their high school film, should be good. These are juniors and seniors that we're expecting to come out and play. And we spent very little time talking about the freshmen. We're not saying, oh, because yeah. of Jordan Johnson, look, those guys need to play, but they're not necessarily the reason this team is going to be great this year on right. offense. And so, yeah, it, I think that's a subjective thing to say. This isn't, you know, this well, the guy was a top hundred player. He should be good. I don't give a crap about that. Yeah. You know, this guy can ball because he's got talent. We've seen him do it, and that's the key. And that's why I think it is subjective to say these guys should be really good. I don't, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I get what you're saying, and I'm with you on the whole. I don't want to put too much hype on them, but at the same time, it's like, but why not? Yeah, <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean. Well, we can take our pats in the back later on when they start to ball out. And, yeah. You know, yeah, we told you. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh, or it's like, I thought you guys said these guys were good. So, whatever. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll, we'll find both, out. There's both sides. We'll find out. Well, Vince, thanks for being with us. We will be back on Monday. Now, on Monday, we're going to not talk about a position group. We're actually going to do a breakdown of the tier system. I did an article at irishbreakdown.com the other day where I ranked the, three, the top three tiers of college football. Uh, and I had Notre Dame in tier three. So check that article out. I think there can be some debate about where Notre Dame fits in that category and then where some other teams fit in that category. I've had people say Ohio State deserved to be number one, Georgia should have been, or Oklahoma should have been three, Georgia should have been three, all these different things. So check that article out. Uh, I thought it was a fun discussion. And then Vince and I are going to talk about that on Monday. We'll dive into that information, dive into that thought process, and then we're going to hear from Vince on what he thinks about where Notre Dame is from a tier system and what kind of tier system he would use. Yeah. So y'all have a great rest of your weekend. Stay safe. 
And make sure you're checking out irishbreakdown.com, and we will be back with you again on Monday. Everybody, Everybody be well.